Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast, and one of the guys has a sinus infection. I'm that guy, Adam Pranica. I'm the guy that does not have a sinus infection. In your face, Adam. I'm Ben Harrison. I mean, literally, in your face. It's literally, that's where it is. I know. Uh, it, the consequences, I think it makes my voice sound better but uh, also makes me feel worse. <laughs> I'm hopped up on suburban speedballs, so mm. I should be able to get through this ep no problem. Oh, yeah. the the They're going to be asterisks by all these episodes because you're using PEDs. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think they're going to give us the record anymore. <laughs> yeah. We're going to be taken off of the, uh, taken off the podium, shamed. We're going to have our swords broken over the knee of a superior you, officer all the all the brass ripped off of our uniforms what do you think would happen if regular people had access to sports peds <laughs> it would be kind of great right no more sick days be, be feeling great all the time i drove up to max funcon east last year with um joel kim booster a very funny stand-up comedian and he was telling mm-hmm. me about shooting a pilot that he wrote for himself and he got a terrible cold like two days before they were going to start shooting and he showed up on set the first day of the shoot and they had like an on-set doctor shoot him full of steroids and he was like yeah and then I was like fine for all of the shoot days like he would just give me a shot in the morning and I felt great and then afterward it came down on me like a ton of bricks that is amazing. I have no idea that that was even possible. Like, because you always hear like, "Oh, Kobe played this this game with a with the flu or whatever." And yeah, you're like, "How?" Because yeah. when yeah. I get the flu, I'm useless. It's amazing. I guess you get what you pay for, or what you're willing to pay for. Yeah, I need to. I need some Beverly Crusher action in my life. Sounds like you do too. Private doctor. Yeah. Who makes house calls? Yeah, ship's physician. Sounds great. Chief medical officer. Bunch of wigs. (laughs) A really envy-inducing wig collection. (laughs) (laughs) Like, the sort of wig collection that would typically turn you off from, you know, making that person your doctor Mm -hmm. in any other context. This this time, it's a total value-added situation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I haven't seen my doctor in a long time. Yeah, have you? Are you a regular doctor person? I'm not really. And I've had about six different health insurance situations in the last two years. Yeah. Because, like, my wife's job changed, and then my job changed, and then I lost my job, and then she put me back on the, you know, it's just like we've been yeah. juggling health insurance, and... uh and it's it's always like a little unclear whether I'm even eligible to see a doctor. So mostly I just don't even do it. I think the most important thing, even more important than our own health, is a tax break for rich people. So hopefully, yeah. hopefully that's coming. <laughs> It'll make me feel a lot better personally. Uh huh. Yeah, because because <laughs> you know that the people who earned it got it. Right. 
Yeah, it's it's the Kobe Bryants who play with the flu. They need that more than I do. Yeah. Well, Adam, the doctor features in pretty heavily in this episode. Do you want to get into it? I sure do. Ben, it's season five. It's episode 23. That's Michael Jordan's number. Whoa. Speaking of the flu game, <laughs> it's I Borg. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. And Ben, this episode starts with uh, the entrepreneur charting an area of space for colonization. Not unlike a family looking at houses in a new neighborhood, Mm -hmm. but uh, unfortunately, there are others putting offers on these houses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they might not be the only bid. Yeah. So they're gonna they're not gonna get some of the uh, some of the improvements they want the previous owner to make before they move in. A little bit of a bidding war here. Yeah, makes it much harder to put the house into escrow until you've determined whether there's termite damage or not. <laughs> uh, so yeah, they uh, they're they're looking at this this star system. It's like it's like kind of a neighborhood on the come up. You know, it's yeah, it's like. Been a rough neighborhood, but maybe uh, maybe they're looking to gentrify. And... It feels like the sort of mission they should do all the time. Yeah, gotta like, gotta find new planets to put more humans on. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's find more places to ruin. Mm-hmm. And uh, the the star, I guess, in this system is like pretty pretty off the hook, right? It's yeah, it's making for quite a bit of interference, but not so much that they don't pick up a signal that they surmise may be a distress signal. There's only one thing more interesting to the Enterprise crew than a mystery, and that is a distress signal. (laughs) Yeah, so they pull up to this planet, and they're pretty much set that they're going to be doing some rescuizing. So uh, they put together an away team that includes a medical crew and Worf and Riker, I don't feel like we've gotten this configuration very often, even no. though it kind of seems like the best configuration. Yeah. Riker, I mean, Riker always, Worf almost always, and then Doctor should be there like 90% of the time, I'd say. It makes me, like, why, why is it a, why is the chief medical officer going down on this? Yeah. Like, shouldn't, it, shouldn't there be like some second string doctors that can handle these kinds of situations? You know Ogawa is just, like, chomping at the bit to yeah. get on these missions. Like, yo, give me some lines. <laughs> yeah. Do you think she's, like, a nurse nurse practitioner or, like, a physician's assistant? Like, what do you think Nurse Ogawa's level of training is? Or did she just, like, take one of those online courses about, do you want to work in a doctor's world? I, I couldn't even guess, Ben. I mean, I mean, she seems to know what the fuck is going on. Like, she assists in surgeries and stuff, so she must have something. I think this is pretty standard in the medical community. Like the the doctors have very little interaction with the patients. It's actually the nurses that do all the heavy lifting. That, that do all of that. So yeah. one could argue if if times haven't changed too severely, mm-hmm. that that Ogawa is maybe maybe more appropriate for a mission like this. But but then again, Adam, maybe Chief O'Brien hurt his shoulder again. So. Kayaking on the hollow deck again. They've really uh, spread themselves thin. They haven't sent down just a random on an away mission in a long time, and I feel like 
they just know better now. Like, <laughs> we're only going to send down senior staff because anytime we include someone else, they die. <laughs> this is a lesson Funny they how that time works. and time again. Yeah. So they beam down to this planet, and it's the styrofoamiest planet we've seen since, like, season two, I want to say. They beam down to that aisle in Michael's, <laughs> the craft store. Yeah. Yeah, they, it's... it's uh, it's planet science project. Right. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, papier mache. There's a lot of bad um, fake snow all over the place. It's sort of like LV four two six, except for there aren't enough environmental effects taking place to disguise how bad it is. Yeah, it's pretty rugged and not in a good way. <laughs> um, the the ship that they discover is like a mini Borg cube. And there's a piece of wreckage on the ground, and they, like, flip it off. And they're lying there under it, struggling for life, is a young, you know, 20-something Borg. He's almost indistinguishable from, like, a goth kid from when we went to high school. <laughs> so I feel like they really got to roll him around a little bit to to see all the implants and stuff. Yeah. Like they hear a faint sound of uh, of the cure, like <laughs> like underneath the wreckage that gets that gets a little louder as they get nearer. <laughs> On stop podcasting yourself. One of their favorite like joke premises they'll they'll return to is goths in situations that it's not possible to be that gothy in, like <laughs> like walking around in the summer and yeah. like having to wear shorts because it's too hot to be a goth. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like this Borg is, like, really trying to keep it real. Life is pain. Life is only pain. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He really needs to put on, like, a Canada goose jacket. It's got to be a disappointment that they're, they're charting this system for colonization. They're, they're second place on this moon. And not only are they second place, the, the fucking goth family is moving in. <laughs> there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> The uh, the reveal of this of this Borg is uh, sufficiently tense to to throw to title sequence, and we come back and Riker is like phoning it up to the boss. Like, <laughs> uh, remember those guys that kidnapped you and turned you into one of them? Well, one survivor. It's a Borg, male, adolescent. He's badly hurt. And at this point, uh, Picard beams up the away team. Destroys the site from orbit and they get the fuck out. Yeah, it's that nuke them from orbit moment from that uh, that we always wanted in uh, in Aliens, right? It's the only way to be sure. Did you like this episode, Ben? I did. I mean, it's a, another one of those ones where they they really nip it at the bud. What I like about this episode is that Picard does exactly what he should do, <laughs> which is end the threat immediately and and look out for the safety of his crew and the rest of the galaxy. It's like Because the one thing that you can't do is fuck around with the Borgs. Fucking A. It's like that that moment in like early spring when you see like a really big fly in your house. If you can get <laughs> that fly, there are gonna be less flies in your house the rest of the summer because that's the one that's in there like laying eggs and like laying the groundwork, you know? That's the king fly. That's the king fly. This episode only works for you if you believe Picard's reasoning from here on out. And I'm just not sure I do. Oh, baby, 
So Picard feels interested in the idea of bugging out and <laughs> and it's almost like Beverly climbs on top of Riker's back and like speaks into his communicator and is like, No, 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 we got a sick one here. I gotta I gotta heal the sick. It's what I do. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately I can't do that down here with a medical tricorder. We gotta get him up to the ship. Right. And this this puts the pivot on Picard. There's What's he this gonna do? Incredibly intense push it on Picard when he gets this news. Yeah. And Patrick Stewart really sells this moment because yeah. he is being torn in a million directions. Like he is terrified of the Borgs, is feeling a little bit vengeful toward the Borgs, but also really respects the doctor and and her needs, but also doesn't want to like put the ship in danger. I mean, it's it's a bit of a ridiculous conflict, but somehow Patrick Stewart makes it really work. Yeah, if he's unable for some reason to sell this, the whole thing falls apart. It's a house of cards that comes tumbling down. <laughs> here's here's another angle that I wanted to bring up with you before we move on, which is... <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hang out in the first three minutes of the episode, Adam. Let's never get out of it. <laughs> I'm, I'm here to stay. <laughs> We're never leaving here. (laughs) Beverly and Picard are supposed to be best friends. Mm -hmm. Beverly is supposed to ostensibly love him. Mm -hmm. Why would she hurt him like this? She's she's choosing duty over her affection and care for her best friend. When it would be very easy and no less noble for her to euthanize the Borg on the planet nuke the site from orbit, and get out of the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. She did take that oath to do no harm, so doing some harm would probably technically be a violation. You know what she should do is tag out and tag in uh, the Pat Sajak doctor. (laughs) Sajak doctor would get down there and do some experimental shit on the Borgs. (laughs) Just leave her down there. It'd be great. Yeah, she'd be like, I've been working on uh, (laughs) on a new technique for... Taking these implants out by hand. Rip! (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and so that was in my mind uh, for the rest of the episode, too. Like, it definitely shows the limitations of a friendship slash love to see how Beverly conducts herself for the rest of the episode here. So the way they deal with this is they erect a subspace damping field in the brig. They beam this Borg up to the brig and they're like doing whatever medical stuff to bring him back from the brink that they need to do. They've got him laying on a couple of sawhorses. Did you mm-hmm. see that? Yeah. <laughs> now when you're building a sawhorse, <laughs> you're going to want to start with a sturdy base. <laughs> I recommend a couple of sawhorses. Screw to a sheet of plywood. That's right, Norm. The best way to achieve... The optimal angle is to lay a 2x4 in a miter box and (laughs) use a hacksaw to cut a 45-degree angle and then bring the two joints together. You'll notice I'm using a wood screw with a Torx bit. That way, it'll be harder to to strip the screw head. (laughs) And your patient will be fully supported. If you use the proper carpentry techniques, your medical sawhorse will last your family for generations. (laughs) 
at first Beverly is like, yeah, uh, beam this guy up to the six bay. We'll get to work on him there. And to Picard's credit, he pushes back on this super hard. He's like, mm-hmm. look, Bev, if you want him up on the ship, we're putting him in the brig. Right. You can do your doctoring in there. I mean, I sort of wonder if Picard's willingness to get this Borg on board is also partly couched in his vengeance plan. Like, yeah. he may not have it fully formed as in his head, but maybe realizes there's an opportunity here that he, like, hasn't quite articulated to himself. Because, like, pretty quickly they have this McLaughlin group. If you and he's want. like, all right, here's the deal. We're going to pump this guy full of some kind of computer virus that will, like... To completely disable the system when we send him back to the collective. This is, this is perfect. This is the first time we've ever been in a position to go on the offensive against these assholes. Data's like, if we get him to open up a web browser to a weird porn site and then <laughs> click on a bunch of ads, yeah, the the ads will never stop populating. Yeah, we need to convince him that his Flash player needs updating and that this site is how you get the new version of Flash player. <laughs> he won't be able to close all the windows before his coworkers arrive. <laughs> yeah. There's no switching to a spreadsheet when this start when this shit starts popping off. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. Like he like I think Picard knows that this is an opportunity to strike back at the Borgs, but he he isn't sure immediately how best to do that until he, until this McLaughlin group pops yeah. off. So he gets everybody kind of involved with this plan, but the doctor is like... We're talking about annihilating an entire race. She feels a little bit deceived. She brought this guy up here to save his life, and now they are talking about using him to prosecute a genocide. She makes a good case. Like, I guess... I mean, we, it's tough, right? Because, <laughs> because genocide is bad. I think we can agree with okay. that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but against, I guess it, it depends on if your definition of the Borgs is one thing or billions of things. Right. And that's totally where they come down on this. Like, this is like, I think a lot of people that don't like the First Contact movie don't like it for this reason. Like Picard is essentially recast as action hero who is on this killing rampage to stop the Borgs. And there are people that are like, no, he's this cerebral hero that, you know, Mm -hmm. is everything is about like striking a perfect Solomonic moral balance. And it's not about running around with a Tommy gun mowing people down. Patrick Stewart was fucking ripped in that movie. He had Jordy arms. I know, totally. But this mo- this episode is all about, like, w- like how conflicted he is about this. Like, he's really fucked up behind his Borg's experience. And I don't think that we've really, like, gotten to explore that much since the Brothers episode, right? Yeah, and this is the episode where Picard's brain is kind of that Tommy gun, right? Yeah. As soon as... As soon as the Borg is beamed on board, like, the rest of the crew is like, I wonder what Picard's going to do. And, like, the moment it happens, Picard walks onto the bridge, goes directly into his ready room, and then Data does this thing to Troy, which is, like, 
a nonverbal, are you going to take care of this sort of gesture? <laughs> like, if you've got time to lean, you've got time to clean? Yeah, like, like I know you humans have feelings, so maybe... Uh... <laughs> like, even Data knows... Grab a mop Picard... and bucket, Troy. Go, yeah. go mop that shit up. <laughs> and, and Picard does that thing where he's like, no, I'm fine. Uh, you got nothing to do here. I'll be okay. And yeah. And... Troy doesn't believe this for a second and and yet backs out of the ready room and leaves him alone. And that's really like the B story here. The B story is Picard's brains. Mm-hmm. It is the guiding principle of a star beating face. If you can't find it within yourself, just stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. He really gets into this with Guinan. They're having they're having a they're fighting swords down in one of the in one of the uh, cargo bays, I guess. And they uh this looks like a like some pretty like pretty authentic fencing. I mean, I've only seen fencing a, a few times in the Olympics, but it seems like they actually know what the fuck they're doing. Yeah. Like Whoopi yeah. can fucking fence apparently. And it's got to be them because they're wearing masks. <laughs> yeah, definitely. They do a really interesting thing here in their conversation. Guinan's making the case that like a very strong case for the craziness that is keeping a Borgs on their ship. Mm-hmm. And in the first fight, the first uh, the first fencing fight, Picard wins. Picard, yeah. Picard just sort of uh, Picard does that thing that everyone loves, which is coaches another person afterwards about what they did <laughs> in in their loss. Yeah, he's like uh, Guinan. Let me mansplain a couple of fencing tactics to you. Today, you were dropping your foil. You kept letting me inside. When they're having the first conversation about the Borgs. The deep background is is very deep. There's like a, an open doorway and like a sort of a wide open space. But I don't know if you noticed this. The second time they fight and Guinan makes the case that someone faking an injury leaves you open to to losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flip the line there and the wall is far closer to them. There are no exits or entrances it's yeah. like a totally different setup yeah, here. And I thought of... that that served to underscore both of their positions in this conversation. That's an interesting point. Yeah, they kind of they kind of uh subconsciously box these characters in. Yeah. It's an interesting position for Guinan to take because Guinan is this very nurturing character. She really you know, believes in the humanity of the characters that come on board and is very open to being surprised by people and yeah she has a 100 percent vengeful attitude toward the borgs whoopi goldberg does a really great thing i think throughout her time on the show which is most of the time she is great and fun and and like a true counselor to people mm-hmm. but she has this flash in her eyes whenever she talks about the borgs that is so dark yeah she really sells the shit out of uh out of the the way she feels about them and yeah. uh and she's basically counseling the captain in this scene like don't don't let the doctor talk you into going any softer than you already have because you've already made a big mistake yeah so uh they get this borg into the into the room where you would make a lol or deprogram a locutus yeah 
whatever that room is. And, uh, and it's the doctor and Jordy and they're like working on fixing something about him and they're having like a back and forth and they decide that they need to name him. So <laughs> they're like going around the horn. I'm Beverly, I'm Jordy and you, and then Jordy says, maybe the dumbest line that Jordy says in the entire series. No, no, wait a minute. That's it. Hugh. <laughs> yeah. Why does... <laughs> it's like a pretty good episode. This is a bad scene. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And I mean, I guess they needed to name him. Like, they needed to have that moment where they humanize the Borg. We are Hugh. This is after they've decided to use him as a genocidal weapon. And, like... <laughs> Any farmer will tell you when you've decided to turn a cow into a genocidal weapon, you don't name the cow. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, pretty rough. Yeah. And at this point, the the Borg's exterior begins to crack a little bit. Like, up until now, he's been pretty much an automaton. But uh-huh. the Hugh name is sort of the beginning of his individuality. And he right. starts asking a bunch of, like, childish questions. Just to make life more miserable for the conformists. And he starts he starts having a personality. There is sadness so deep, it pulls me down. And he ingratiates himself with Jordy especially, and Beverly also. And so Jordy is, like, dealing with the kind of heaviness of this. And so he goes down to... Uh, Goes down to 10 forward, and um, he's kind of kicking it to Guinan about this, uh, which is perhaps a pretty insensitive thing for him to do. Like, hey, Guinan, I know that uh, Borg's killed almost everybody you've ever loved. Let me tell you about how I feel some, some like, positive feelings toward this one. <laughs> yeah. It's another instance where Jordy just can't really read his audience in a normal way. <laughs> yeah. Like, come on, man, that is that is not nice. Like, you don't need to be able to see someone's facial expressions to know who you shouldn't talk to about this stuff. Yeah. This conversation sort of leads to him inveighing against Guinan to go, like, see if she can make a connection with this board. Why don't you go and talk to him? It might not be so clear-cut then. She reacts really badly to it, and and... He goes, like, why don't you just go listen to him, Guinan? Like, isn't that what you do best? I wonder what sort of security clearance Guinan has. Because (laughs) this is the most dangerous thing that they've had on the ship, maybe ever. And Guinan can walk into the brig and talk to it. Yeah. She she changes to a a teal costume for this. (laughs) This is the same ship that didn't put a lock on the cargo bay when they were transporting that... uh, that gift woman for the wedding. <laughs> yeah, that slave babe. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, another another time that I would love to hear Worf's thoughts on why that's okay. <laughs> yeah. So she has that moment in the prison where she puts her hand on the glass and he puts his hand on the glass and they have a real <laughs> moment. Because <laughs> this is after Hugh has sort of turned the corner into becoming an individual. Yeah. He starts understanding that not everyone wants to be assimilated. Not everyone wants to be like him. Everyone's just walking around like a bunch of conformists. Adam, one time I went to a film uh, with my parents. It was an Australian film. I can't remember what the name of it was, but um, 
there was a there was that prison scene where a woman comes to visit her boyfriend in jail or something and i'm sitting like in between my mom and dad i'm probably like 15 or 16 years old and the scene ends not with them putting their hands against the glass but with her reaching into her skirt and wiping some vaginal secretions on the glass (laughs) one one of the most horrifying experiences of my entire life was sitting in a theater in between my parents (laughs) your dad like throws an elbow at you like eh <laughs> eh? How about that? Hey. <laughs> he did, he like flips up his glasses a couple times, like squints. <laughs> yeah. Uh that would be an inappropriate thing for Guinan to do in the workplace here. Mm-hmm. And it would probably crackle like hell if she were to do it. Oh yeah, because it's that, that force field up. Energy field. It's not the uh, it's not glass with chicken yeah. wire running through it. So Guinan at the end of the scene sort of decides that he's not a Borgs anymore. Right, because he kind of is, like, it's, I think that this is the other scene that sort of strains credulity in this episode. It's the naming him scene and this scene, because in this scene, he's like, essentially doing psyops on her. He's like, I'm really lonely. Like, don't you, like, you have to sympathize with me because I feel lonely in the same way that you feel lonely. This is the conflict where a person hates all of a certain type of people, mm-hmm. except for the one that they meet and they like. Yeah. You know, like, like it doesn't, I don't believe it changes her position on hating the Borgs, but, right. but this one individual is somehow not as bad as the rest to Guinan. Yeah. And she Ga- makes the case to Picard. Ga- Guinan's got, got kind of that Austin Powers stance on on tolerance there are only two things i can't stand in this world people who are intolerant of other people's cultures and the dutch and god picard has to be shocked as hell when the door to his quarters opens and yeah. guinan is there she's to like try to talk hey, him out nice deep v buddy yeah picard's enjoying a fine scotch and a deep v and a book before bed i'm glad he's not sleeping in his ready room anymore <laughs> yeah not pulling those all-nighters. Yeah, he's taking he's do he's taking care of himself, Adam. He's doing some self-care because he's under some some real significant stress surrounding this Borg situation. They've got the they've got a Borg ship like on long-range sensors. You know, it's approaching the system, and they're pretty sure that the Borgs can't see them yet. But mm-hmm. they are. You know, the pressure is starting to mount. What are they going to do? And Guinan is in here to be like, hey, remember that shit I said. I'm going to say the opposite now. My love is a peanut longing tail for that which longer nurses the disease. The implication is that by keeping Hugh around, they're just going to, they're never going to stop looking for him. So the end game is coming. They need to decide what to do with him because mm-hmm. keeping him around is going to be profoundly dangerous. Yeah. And Picard is shocked as hell that Guinan would have this position now. Guinan's like, I don't think he's a Borgs anymore. I think he's a person. And I think you need to rethink this whole genocide thing. I mean, it's an interesting case. It's um, She's basically saying, you know, you're talking about killing an entire race, but you haven't looked, at, looked this guy that you're going to use to do it in the eye and really talk to him. Right. Yeah. It's 
it's tough. Like if only Captain Picard had someone, someone's counsel about doing genocide. Like, can you think of a character who has actually gone through with that kind of plan, Ben? <laughs> Captain Picard. <laughs> I know that you and your crew have mostly talked to me about one aspect of my of my character, that being my thriving real doll business. But I wasn't I, always in this line of work, Captain Picard. <laughs> I switched careers late in life. <laughs> But you should also know I'm a, I'm a subject matter expert on genocide. If you'd like, I can come on board and give you a PowerPoint presentation about killing the Hushnak. <laughs> You'll find it, it is very graphic heavy. I'm not one of those presenters that just reads the slides. I don't do a Lord's Lessig style all text presentation. <laughs> it's, not, it's not punchy with jokes, it's more... It's it's more, you know, photo of bulldozer pushing <laughs> bodies into a mass grave kind of situation. You wouldn't think a Dowd would need a bulldozer, but it turns out, while I am all-powerful and capable of killing all hooshnack everywhere, the cleanup was a real bitch and took a lot of logistics. That's just something you're going to need to think about. I'm kind of a stickler for efficiency. <laughs> I'm a man of special conscience when it comes to cleaning up after oneself. Yeah, uh, and so Picard has to make this decision alone. But before he does... Well, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the fact that he makes it alone. Like, this would be a classic time to talk to the admirals, right? There is no yes. command command decision being made here. This is entirely being sorted out within the command structure of the entrepreneur like shouldn't he phone up the bosses this this is insane to me and i was thinking this the whole time like admiralty gets all up in his business on the most benign shit (laughs) and the most significant threat has returned and Picard's like, I'm going to go solo on this. He doesn't even blow a call in. <laughs> it's like it's like he's like yelling no time for backup as he slides over the hood of a Previa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And <laughs> it sort of makes sense that in first contact, the, fe- the Federation's like, no, uh, you guys stay out there. I think we're going to handle this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You have uh, you have proved yourself untrustworthy one too many times on this issue. Yeah, because you know what the Federation would tell them: yeah. nuke the site from orbit, get the fuck out. Fucking a. Or use him to do the genocide. Great idea. Like yeah. stop waffling on it. Yeah, yeah. We've got a we've got an Internet Explorer 1995 version. We're gonna boot him up with. <laughs> It is super buggy. We have not patched this at all. So Guinan talks him into giving Hugh a second chance. Hugh comes to the ready room, and Picard asks the uh, dustbuster jock that comes with him to uh, give them some privacy. And they have they have a chat, and Picard goes into locutus mode. Picard's a Borg! Oh, no! Ah! And it's a little ambiguous whether he's doing this as kind of a ruse to draw something out of Hugh or if it kind of happens 
automatically like when he's in the presence of a borg he kind of can't help but but become that character i am locutus of borg i thought it was a pretty shrewd form of manipulation for him because hugh recognizes him right away yeah dude i haven't seen you in a while what is up Man. He reads this out for like a four-step handshake with yeah. like a bunch of gears and, and wires and stuff, and Picard leaves him hanging. What was the last time we saw each other? Like Wolf 359? This is amazing. What are you doing here, dude? Man, we killed so many people at the wolf. That's what we call it. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Hugh is like really confused because, because Locutus is saying identify yourself and he's like i'm hugh and he's like that's not a proper board designation picard's like what's your employee id number (laughs) (laughs) yeah where's your badge and hugh starts to explain to locutus that resistance may or may not in fact be futile and that geordie must not be assimilated and that's not necessarily as irrelevant as they once may have thought yeah it's another instance where Jordy is best friends with another robot. Jordy really has a way of getting under the skin of uh, emotionless droids, doesn't he? Yeah, he sure does. They fucking love him. It's that light psychopathy in, in Jordy, that kind of like <laughs> inability to empathize with others. God, that would be a terrible last line in a tinder profile wouldn't it <laughs> interests include uh hiking biking and light psychopathy <laughs> yeah picard presses and presses and presses hugh on the idea of assimilating the ship and assimilating the federation and going on with the borg mission that they both know is their goal and hugh pushes back he's like no i'm not going to help you like i will resist myself this mission you can do it, but you're going to do it without me. Right. And Picard is blown away by this. Yeah, he's like, you have gone AWOL, soldier. And I believe we cut from here into the conference room, and Picard shares a new decision. Yeah, this is the, the big McLaughlin group. Issue one. When he announces that... I want other options. The computer virus plan is going on the back burner. He's like, maybe our love and our relationship can be the virus. You ever think of that? <laughs> yeah. And they're like, God, I thought it was a little smoky in here. <laughs> Didn't realize Rasta Picard was back. He really swings wildly from lawyer to Rasta. It's true. <laughs> or lawyer to hippie. He's like, you guys, he's been around us for a couple of weeks, and I think he really digs how we live. Our vibe has made like a big impression on him man if you think about it his heart has grown like four sizes bigger just by being around us I uh, let him uh, puff on some of that Chiba and it just seemed to mellow him out you know he came on board all stiff and now he's like much cooler and more chill like we joke about that being the plan but that's the plan that's totally totally the plan (laughs) where is the dissenting opinion in this room like Worf has not, Worf hasn't had the moment with Hugh where his heart melts and sees him <laughs> as an individual. I feel like Worf should ride for the Federation and should be like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, this guy is a mortal threat to everyone. Like, let's, let's vest him up and send him back. Like, 
<laughs> no one defends the original plan. And I feel like it's okay to have a dissenting opinion there and have that person overridden, but that doesn't happen. Everyone is sort of in lockstep with this this sort of pseudo idea that may or may not work. There I think Jordy even says, like, they're going to read his memory, they're going to absorb it, and then they're going to turn him back to the collective. That's going to happen. It's just a matter of, it's the question of whether or not the Borg collective does anything with this new individuality, and they aren't really sure if they will. But it's a chance that they can live with. And that's the difference. Well, it's one of those scenes in Star Trek where they're just talking through a big idea. There isn't a disagreement or any subtext. They're just wrapping their minds around this it's just world building essentially and it's interesting that it comes like it's essentially the climactic moment of the episode yeah there is not much to come after this picard changing his mind is is the climax and then they you know tell hugh like yo dude we're gonna we're gonna send you back to your family if you want like it's up to you though if you want to if you want to come with us, that's cool. Like we'll like we'll take that risk. We know it's risky. And he's like, "Nah, I got to go back." And in this scene, Hugh is the most rational actor of anyone. Right, he makes a pretty episode. like heroic choice here. Yeah, he's like, "Look, um if I stay on the Enterprise, they're never going to stop looking for me. Like I'm going to put my friend Jordy in danger by being here, and that's wrong. Instead, I'm going to go back and risk being turned back." into an automaton and i know that would suck but at least my friends would be safe and that's the that's the biggest best decision that anyone's made on the episode it comes from hugh mm-hmm. i am the cutest of all there are four lights they uh beam him and Jordy down Jordy wants to kind of you know bid his new buddy goodbye and due to their past experiences with the borgs they know that this isn't a terrible risk he's taking so they beam down to shitty LV-426, and Hugh goes and takes up a position next to his crashed shuttle, and some Borgs beam down. They, like, go collect some uh, some gigas off of his fallen comrades. And One of they... those comrades has an exposed brain. Did you see that? Yeah, that was really gross. Yeah, that's grosser than they typically get on this show. Yeah, because it had, like, some blood, you know? Yeah, there's this crash site is really splattery. <laughs> it's, a, it's a fucking mess. New guys in the corner puking his guts out. <laughs> if these were human beings, I don't think they could show that level of gore. Right. Yeah, I guess not. It's probably like a standards and practices thing that they're mm-hmm. they're gray enough that a little bit of blood is not a big problem. I bet it's a lot like uh, in Star Trek VI, how they had to make the blood pink to keep the PG rating. Like, did you know that that was the reason that Klingon blood was pink? Yeah. Is, is I, because if it were red, that it would have popped the rating? I, I like the continuity of that, and I, I, I think it's such a shame that Klingon blood is red in all other contexts. Yeah, yeah. I wish, I wish, I think it's, I think it'd be fucking hilarious if every time a Klingon took a bat left to the chest, a bunch of Pepto-Bismol poured out of him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If Romulan blood can be green, why can't why can't Klingon blood be pink? That's all I'm no. saying. Well, this ends on a pretty touching moment where they're the Borgs are beaming back up to their ship and Hugh turns at the last moment to look at Jordy and Jordy uh, you know, 
looks at Hugh and it's you can tell that uh, there's some uh, some some sadness, some regret in both of them. Uh, some it's tantalizing, you know what what could happen here. Yeah. Did you like this episode, Adam? I did. It all hinges on how believable you believe Picard's decisions are throughout. Yeah, totally. And it strains his credibility a little bit at a couple of moments. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I think the contemporary comparison to anyone watching this is like what, what a, how a prisoner of war would feel about his previous captors. And I think the, the version we get of that in the media, in movies and in TV, is always the vengeance. Right. It's the, it's the unquestioned vengeance. And so... I mean, we know Picard has a big, a big heart, and is extremely ethical in all cases. And God, it just underscores his his ethics in a big time way to see him act like this. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing character study of Picard. It's yeah. like it's confronting him with kind of the the biggest issues that he he faces as a character and. And yeah, like I think that we have to assume that he's kind of working off instinct in agreeing to let the doctor aboard and then working off instinct when he decides to do the genocide thing. And then it's bringing that like stupendous rationalism that he's uh, known for to bear on the situation that helps him arrive at the decision not to commit genocide. (laughs) I've got to ask, Ben, like, if you were in Picard's position, do you choose genocide? Like, do you think, I think I know the answer to the question, do you think genocide is wrong? But, right. but my, my follow-up question is, in this case, against this enemy, do you think there's a case to be made for it? Well, I think that the problem is, it, the second Hugh becomes an individual, it's, it starts being genocide, and before that, it isn't. Because yeah. it's killing one technological threat versus killing something that is potentially a species that is individualized. And um, I mean, it's like it's like the difference between like the institutional Borgs yeah. is is uh, detestable and needs to be eliminated. But uh, it's it becomes a problem when it's an individual uh, with you know, hopes and dreams. And so that turns it into a crime and not just an act of war. Beverly gets so much to say in this episode. I was wondering why she never made the case for total freedom for the captured Borgs. Like, as soon as they brought Hugh up to the ship and he started to display individual traits, like, I was surprised no one brought up the idea of maybe the Borgs can be freed. Like, like maybe... pulling, pulling all the crap off of him the way they did with Locutus? Yeah. The Borgs have assimilated a lot of Federation people. Like, is there a way, is there a way to free them and sort of unwind what the Borg has done to the people they've assimilated? Mm. No one makes that case at all based on, on this small sample size. Yeah. And it seemed like a case that Beverly would make. But she yeah. never does. I sort of wonder if that's just not having time to, to get into it. Because it does, it's, that is something that would have been interesting to explore. But this is a pretty tight episode, you know? 
Yeah, that to me makes a stronger case against genocide than maybe anything else in the show, though. And it goes unsaid. Like, the idea that that the Borgs could be freed, that it were that it were possible, also takes genocide off the table to me. Like, yeah. if if they were in this form in a in a permanent fashion, and there was no way to reverse what had happened, and they were forever and always going to be a threat the way they are, then I think the case can be made uh, for genocide. Yeah. God, I just know that's going to get taken out of context. The case can be made for genocide, Adam said. <laughs> On season five, episode 23. <laughs> that's going to be a fun new Gmail rule. Mm-hmm. Instances of the word genocide, automatically delete. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're with why didn't you and what's the other one? <laughs> uh, you missed the part about... <laughs> right. Uh, ben? What's that, Adam? Did you assimilate for yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! (laughs) Uh, I picked Hugh as my Shimoda, and it's not really something that Hugh did, but um, there's a shot when Picard has Hugh up to the ready room for a chat where the camera goes real close in on Hugh's face, and he had some stubble on his chin. Oh, no! And it made me just imagine a Borg, like, heading to the washroom and heating up a towel, getting some lather going and having a shave. <laughs> it's got to be so hard to shave around the implants. I know. I love the image of a Borg shaving. <laughs> God. Do you think Hugh has lather inside one of his uh, one of his fingers or something? He's got like a like Spider-Man. He can like shoot it onto onto his palm from his wrist. He's got the gremlin-style bathroom buddy. (laughs) I didn't ever see a stubble because I was constantly distracted by Hugh's uh, eye patch from Spencer's Gifts. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely Hugh is, uh, when he gets the other one of those, he's going to enter the World Series of Poker. Yeah, I feel like uh, they sent the props guy out to Spencer's and he came back with, like, the lizard eye version and and the cat's eye version. And they finally decided on this one. Yeah. Uh, How about you? Did you have a Shimoda? Yeah, I did. And it was one of those background Shimodas that I find sometimes. Um, In the Briggs scene, you know, to the entrepreneur's credit, they staff the Brig with a bunch of random security dudes. And... One of the security guys in the background has, like, the dad jeans version of a Starfleet uniform (laughs) because the black part goes all the way up. Like, it goes basically to nipple height. (laughs) And to me, the black part of the uniform is sort of the pants part, and the gold part is the shirt part. Right. Even though there's some black encroachment onto the gold part, like, above the belt line. Yeah. But this this guy's, like, slash across the body is so high that it looks like he's wearing a dad jeans security uniform. Yeah, that's uh that's some like some like early 2000s hipster security chief kind of stuff. Yeah, really gives him that pear-shaped bottom. Mhm. <laughs> it kind of, it's one of those looks that really like comes and goes, you know. Yeah. It was like super hot in the 80s and then gone for 20 years and then it's back. Yeah, the butt pockets are are way up high. Yeah. Can't really even put anything in them because they hug those hips so much. It's true. <laughs> Stick a braided belt on there. 
Good to yeah. go. Yeah, tuck a tuck a, uh, a, a, a like a printed shirt with a nice tight pattern into it. <laughs> yeah. Un- unbutton like the top three. It's a sexy look. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. 
Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Ben, what do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Season 5, Episode 24, The Next Phase. Jordy and Roe are pronounced dead after a transporting maneuver from a distressed Romulan ship goes awry. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Yes, I do. I gotta believe that Roe is pretty disappointed to be experiencing some form of the afterlife stuck with Jordy. <laughs> and Jordy has to be super pumped to be stuck with a woman, right? Yeah. There's no escape for Roe. A woman that he has not totally skeeved out yet. <laughs> I think it's understood around the crew that, like, Roe and Riker are a thing still, right? Like, and even though though they might not be a, a capital T thing, like, it's I don't like, think Jordy's... Like, hands off everybody. Yeah, I don't think Jordy's going to step on that territory, unless they're dead. <laughs> In which case, bro code goes out the window, right? Yeah, yeah. That's uh, It's like being in a different area code or whatever. Yeah, it's um, like being on vacation. Right. Adam, this, is this I think, is on my mountain. It's one of my faves, uh, if, if memory serves. The next phase is on your mountain, but Iborg is not. Right. Uh, I would disagree with that. You don't get to disagree with me, Adam. It's my fucking mountain. Why do you have to yell at me, man? <laughs> you just told me my sh- my favorite show is not my favorite show. I disagree. All right. Well, uh, that's just your opinion or whatever. <laughs> they're they're naming our mountains out there, Ben. Have yeah. you heard that? There's been a, there's been a lot of really good suggestions. The We're thing gonna... about Mount Nuckmore is that Mount Nuckmore is a mountain dedicated to achievements in Nuck. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's not a place for a great episode. No. So uh, I think other names are in play, but not that one. Right. Well, Adam, we don't have any vetoes, so you, you wouldn't be able to play an evil prank on me. I would never. No pranks. You're the prank. <laughs> uh, so that's what we're watching next. I think I can do that. This episode comes out during the Max Fun Drive, and I think about a third of our viewers are not current with the show. But for those that are, this is the best time of year to become a financially supporting viewer. Um, this show is free to download and free to listen to, and we are careful not to lard it down with advertisements. You know, we. Uh, we do not have pre-roll ads and a bunch of ads placed throughout like a lot of podcasts do. And uh, that's because our viewers have been so generous with uh, supporting our show. So uh, this is just us saying, you know, thank you for uh, waiting through the, the pledge drive time and, uh, you know, enjoying these shows with us and... Um, supporting it because um, you know without you it wouldn't be happening pledge drive is important to all of the shows on the network because it is it's it's the one time it's the one major time when shows can can get support for their ongoing production and i think that that means a lot to you and i ben because i mean to whatever degree we're able to 
to support the things that we do on the network, that really makes the case for us to keep going and creating new shows, because I think we know that uh, this show is not going to last forever in its current form. Right. And when people support the show and say that, you know, this is worth something to me, this is this is something that I enjoy enough to support financially, it also encourages us to keep making great content. If you uh, find this to be of value in your life and you're in a position to um, to help support it, you know, like it's this is not charity. It's just us saying, you know, we put this out for free. If you think it's worth something, uh, it would be really amazing uh, for you to support it and based on the success of of us striking that bargain with you we can make a decision on like what the future is going to be for it and uh, I think we're really optimistic about the future of this show uh, whatever form it takes in uh, in the coming year yeah definitely so thanks everybody who has uh, who's already stepped up and thanks to everybody who's stepping up during the fun drive and uh, we should also thank Dark Materia for our theme music, Adam Ragusea for a lot of the other music you hear on the program. Thanks to the great folks at MaximumFun.org for all of the logistical support that they've provided us. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that can walk through walls, but not floors? smells like <laughs> mm, brill cream i thought he might smell like when you open up a new computer like and you mm. open the box that that pleasant electronic smell those like volatile organic compounds from all the glue that they used to put put the uh different implants on him he smells like new car <laughs> i think that'd be nice to have around sort of pleasant yeah maximumfun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.